1: Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast. Uh, it's Friday, and I am taping my comedy special. It's February 17th, in just a few hours. Um, I'm not shitting my pants as much as I thought. I mean, maybe just a little leaked out, but it's nothing more than normal that should be alarming in any way. Uh, but I'm super excited. So let me just get to these announcements really, uh, really quickly, and then I'll, uh, let you listen to the Wilco podcast, and I'm gonna go tell jokes to a theater full of strangers. Alright, um... If you didn't know, we have mashed up with Geek Chic Daily, which was an awesome daily email newsletter. So now we have Nerdist News, which you can get daily in your inbox. And it actually doesn't suck. I promise. It's good stuff that is relevant to your interests. You can also follow us at Nerdist News on Twitter uh, and get tons of stuff that that, that you will enjoy daily. Also, I would like to thank, as a brand new sponsor to the Nerdist Podcast, Squarespace.com, which is the super fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. If you've been thinking about starting a website, Now is the time. There's no more excuses. It could not be simpler. Squarespace has an easy to use UI. Uh, You can create, manage your website, blog. It is optimized both for beginners. Uh, If you're an expert at CSS, it doesn't matter any skill level, they totally have you covered. There's hundreds of design templates to choose from. You can customize any of the designs to fit your needs. They have 13 new template redesigns with 85 style options and two completely brand new templates. Also, there's uh, iPad, iPhone, Android apps if you want to update your blog on the go. And they've also added Google's complete web font library, which is over 300 fonts that are now fully integrated. And they have support. They have support team 24-7. You can get support with Squarespace. I mean, honestly, there are no more excuses. Start your website today. Use squarespace.com. Sign up for a free account. There's no credit card needed. You try it out. You start building your website. Then if you decide to purchase, use your offer code NERDIST, and you get 15% off for six months. At squarespace.com, use the offer code NERDIST. And now this episode, um, this is episode 169, this is Wilco, so uh, Jonah Ray and I took our good friend Will Wheaton, who was the Matt Myra of this day, Matt uh, Matt was working on Attack of the Show, and Will was initially the, the person who would turn me on to Wilco years and years ago, so I called him up and I was like, hey Will, and he's like, hey Chris, and I'm like, hey Will, do you want to come uh, podcast Wilco with us, Will Wilco, uh, and he was like fucking shit. Uh he was really excited. That was well being really excited. So, he uh he came along with us. Uh we we sat down with Jeff Tweedy for about an hour and Jeff was awesome. So, we had a really great talk and they let us stick around and record uh, some of the sound checks. So, you'll actually get some <laughs> never before heard performances at the end of the podcast which are from the sound So, if it you know if you hear like noodling around and then a song that's cuz it's a sound check and it was it was literally just it was just like the three of us sitting in the Wiltern Theater watching like a private show of Wilco I couldn't we Will and I just kept looking at each other and like, how the fuck did this happen? How did we get here? Uh, but not too loudly because we didn't want to disturb the band. So thanks again to Wilco and to their management and PR people who, who made this all super fun and seamless. And uh, now we deliver the goods to you. The Nerdist Podcast, episode number 169, Wilco. Wilco. Wilco will love you, baby.
2: Now entering Nerdist.com.
3: I could run you up with you if you want. This is really going to work best
1: if Jonas sits on your lap. Is yeah, that yeah. awkward for no, you? No, I think this is good. <laughs> I think we should maintain an adversarial. <laughs> what a diva. Everyone cross your arms and maintain uh, a defensive body
4: the, posture. We can all point guns at each other like the end of Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, exactly. But can who's even
5: point pointing the last up. gun at whom? Um, Mexican standoff. Yeah, full yeah. on. All right. They good say uh,
3: they, they say Steve Chemi's character gets killed by the cops outside. Oh, that's how he I does? like I like to think that he gets away.
1: All right. We'll, we'll keep that in our hearts. Jeff Tweedy, thank you for being here.
3: Thanks for having in
1: me.
5: In your own dressing room. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I don't have any other choice. It's true,
1: <laughs> it's true. Listen, you'll get your family back you as soon as we're yeah. Uh I'm Chris, this is Jonah. Hi Jonah, um, This Hi is Will. Hey Will. Hi Will. Uh, how's it going, are you guys, are you all set up? Do you have any more rehearsal or like sound check? Are you done? Or are you just oh, in time? We have sound check. Oh, you still haven't, you haven't sound check yet? Mm-mm. How do, you, how do you like the Wiltern?
5: Uh, we've played here a fair amount and it's always been really nice. I think that, you know, we've always had good shows here. We, we came back, they had us back, so I think all, all is well. That's a great venue. I'm expecting it to sound better than the Palladium.
4: Oh yeah, the Palladium was the Palladium. The, why do people go to the Palladium? It's the worst sound in the world.
5: I think we we did pretty well last night, but it was not. It's never going to be a pristine kind of show. It and just it d- d- really depends where you stand in that place mm-hmm. too. It's uh I, I, when I saw the
3: Pixies there. I was like, I was, I was, was like, man, this fucking blows. And then I kind of weaseled my way
5: into the very middle center, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, this is fine. Stan, yeah. Stan, our sound guy, got a lot of really nice compliments from a lot of people, so I think he did a good job, and people seemed to have a good time. But yeah, we played a set that catered to the broad stroke, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> characteristics of the room. <laughs> you know.
1: It is a weird play. Playing is one of those rooms that, like, that L.A. will not let die. Like, it's mm, died yeah. numerous times and then someone's like, we're going to fucking save you, Palladium, and, and then they
3: kind of do it. It's really is just, just that, too. It's just a huge fucking room. Yeah.
5: yeah. Aragon and Chicago, sort of the same thing, you know? There's a big, big, old dance hall that sounds like ass. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just can't
1: let it go. What was yeah. the... Was it just about the, the getting the venue space to break up the shows between the Palladium one night and the Wilter turn the next night?
5: Um, I think if we're gonna do multiple nights in a city which is nice to do instead of doing one big show uh, it was a way to make them n- the shows feel different and create sets that felt you know more catered to specific places and rooms than just showing back up at the same place every night and and I don't know we've done that too and that that, that can be fun but it's just a way to kind of make it I don't know, a little fresher for us on a night-to-night basis and to make our crew really, really earn their money.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, see you at that venue across town yeah. In yeah. 12 hours.
5: Have fun
4: schlepping all of our equipment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are you? Do you do, like, the bus thing or do you fly
1: around?
5: Oh, I don't fly around. No. no. We have a bus. <sighs>
1: I always wanted to do a tour bus. But I just we just we're just stand-up it's comics in, and it's, it's like it's incredible. hard to justify. Yeah. <laughs> no, <I'm> just
5: <laughs> kidding. It's really not that it you can't be exciting. claustrophobic if you want to go to sleep. Well yeah, I mean we have two buses now, which is a lot nicer than when we used to have everybody on one bus, you know, so the crew's on one bus and the band's on a bus. And um, luckily we all get along pretty well. But when we tour in Europe we have a double decker bus and everybody's nineteen people on one bus. Oh Jesus. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, because we're cheap. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's. A, I always,
1: I always marvel at the idea of. I mean, I feel like we're sort of spoiled as you know like we're spoiled as comedians because you go to a venue and it's like well sound check is you just tapping the mic and yeah, exactly. going balls vaginas okay we're good yeah but exactly. you, know, you guys have to tour a crew and a band I don't even know how a band makes money with ex- as a, as expensive as it is to
5: tour. You it, it's you have to stay on the road to make money. Yeah. I mean, you have to string a bunch of shows together to cover the overhead, and then, then you start to make money. So it's, yeah, we have it way harder than, you know, <laughs> it's so much harder.
4: Yeah. I <laughs> tour with a small, uh, a small sort of like nerd vaudeville show called Woodstock, and uh, the most depressing thing in the world is after we've had like just a phenomenal show, we've sold out, and mm-hmm. it's you know we've we've been doing merch for three hours after the show, you know after the show is done, audience loved it, we loved it, and then we get home and figure out like what everybody kind of takes away from the show, and you're like a hundred dollars,
5: maybe I should go solo, because... <laughs> but yeah, but that's. But that's not why you do it. No, no,
1: no. Have. No, but you just don't want to... You also don't want to go, you know... You want to be able to not go broke yeah. at, at the same time.
5: I, I mean, I feel very, very fortunate that we're able to take care of a lot of people and employ people and have, you know, things still work out in our favor most of the time.
4: Have I mean, you had the same crew pretty much
5: for... Or do you just sort of go on there, a tour basis? No, no. We, we have a consistent... You know, f- uh, familial type relationship with a lot of people, and and you know, people kind of cycle out sometimes. They if we have a down period, people jump on another tour or something occasionally. But for the most part, we don't have like the pure road dog butt pack wearing you know,
2: Zildjian, <laughs> Zildjian
5: t-shirt. True <laughs> <laughs> guys, you know, fingerless
1: gloves. That did start out that way exactly. We Always just, on a smoke break. <laughs> Hey, how's it going? Hi, I'm
0: Deb. Oh, you're there. Hey, Deb. <laughs> I didn't know you were started. Okay. Mm. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Special guest Deb. <laughs> that's all right. Um, so, what do you, you guys are in your this is your eighteenth year as Wilco. Um,
5: yeah. Has it, is it is it any easier now or is it I don't know It's a lot easier now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, I mean that's those are always tough questions because. I mean, what were you doing 18 years ago? Is your life easier now than it was 18 years ago?
1: Yeah, actually it is. And yeah. I think that's only because I, I'm older and I, I, don't, I, I don't worry about the same things exactly I did when I was younger.
5: Exactly, yeah. I mean, you don't know what to give a shit about when you're, whatever, in your 20s. I think when you're older, you know what to care about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just easier to know what, what actually makes a difference. It's easier to know that one show isn't going to destroy your life, you know. Um, and that's kind of liberating. Yeah. You know, not miss agonizing over the breakdown of every show. Like,
4: like, like it's, I used to do that. I would, it was like, it was like watching game tapes mm-hmm. and I always felt like, um, the guy in best of times. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. You know, just watching me miss that catch over and over and over again <laughs> yeah. and just obsessing <laughs> about it. Yeah.
5: No, I, I don't think we never really did that that much, but it, I was actually being stressed out about the things you do. You don't have any control over Yeah, you know, like. How is the audience going to react? You have a certain amount of control over it, but not entirely. So you, know, like you start to think you can will um, a certain reaction. And like, I don't think now it's much easier to just go with you know, what, what the experience is actually going to be like. I don't know. Kind of open to it. Do you spend any time at all on
1: the Internet, or do you avoid the Internet? All
5: um, I, I think it's really fascinating. I do look at stuff that people write and and, and, and reviews and things like that, because I just think it's a fucking fascinating <laughs> thing. I feel very detached from it. I don't feel like it has much to do with me at all, but I find the, the psychology of the people doing it really f- really interesting. You know, it's like a self-empowerment kind of thing, and and like just how negative voices are so amplified over positive voices, and certain forums are more, you know, despicable than other ones because they're more anonymous, or you know, like just all the different inner workings of it. And rock criticism itself is like it's very threatened right now it's behave is behaving yeah. very threatened. Oh really? It. How so? Well they're not they're they're useless. Cuz everyone is a critic. Everybody yeah. can hear everything. Right. So the only people that can really they can depend upon to to need their opinion are people that are very very insecure.
0: Yeah.
5: And and I think they're very insecure to begin with. So so And okay. I guess at a certain point you realize like it kind of doesn't really
1: matter what gets said about you. Like people who like your stuff are gonna find you. They're gonna come out.
5: Oh, I mean, it's like, honestly the opposite is the is way worse. You know, nobody's talking about your band or caring enough to weigh in. I mean, that was a big realization at some point. I realized that Wilco wasn't a band that nobody had ever heard of anymore. Right? There's we were a band that some pe- that most people had heard of. or not most but I think almost most you know like it's a lot of people have heard of us that felt compelled to weigh in on something all of a sudden that I would never have expected them to like or care about or you know
1: yeah 94 was an interesting time to to, I mean I know you had bands before that do you have any of the
5: old recordings of like the plebes or any of that stuff? Do you have any? Oh no, I wasn't in the plebes. Uh, Jay Farrar was. I mean, I, I think there's stuff around, but not really. No. Do you have stuff from like when you were in high school that you still that you like? Is there anything that you just have in a time capsule that someday you're gonna release? No, mm, I mean, I'm sure I do, but I'm not much of an archivist. I don't know. I mean, my my mom was. Uh, so I probably inherited or after when she passed away. I think I like, probably got a big box of stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. So, but I haven't like gone through it. My mom brings
4: me uh, like every few months boxes. I was on Star Trek when I was a teenager mm-hmm. and my mom brings me these huge boxes of next generation things Uh, and 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 she's like you threw this away but i kept it for you and Uh it's like so your mom was like a dumpster diver it's weird yeah yeah. Yeah. well she says because i thought you probably would want this someday right and it's uh it's scripts and call sheets and pictures and things and Mm -hmm. um i hate to admit that my mom is right about anything but she's totally right it's Mm. great to have that stuff and i've sort of consolidated it down into one you know one box.
3: My parents' garage flooded and um, all my stuff, all the boxes out of my stuff, and they were all on the bottom of everyone else's stuff. So everything from my childhood got waterlogged and ruined.
4: Typical Jonah Ray experience. Right? Our, uh, our younger son, uh, we had all of his stuff, all those great things your kids mm. make you from school. Right. And they were in the garage, and rats chewed through a box and made a nest out of all of Nolan's things. Um. And, we, and it's all gone. We don't have any of them. Did it you, you tell them if you were a better kid, then that wouldn't have happened? <laughs> Did you save the rat's nest and say, here? <laughs> yes. <laughs> is,
2: My wife this, wanted to this. throw all
4: of it away, and I actually pulled out some things and uh-huh. sort of like cut away the edge of it because I said, you know, like,
5: it's better for the that's, kid. That's year zero. That's, like, yeah, it just started <laughs> yeah, from yeah. scratch. Yeah, you know? I think so. Plus, I'm,
3: it's like the rats got more use out of it than you would have ever done. Right. That.
5: <laughs> you know? It's just, everybody lives on their own little private landfill. <laughs> yeah, it's you <know>?
1: so true. <laughs> So, so in 94, I think 94 is an interesting time to start because that's kind of, that's sort of the beginning of the end for the traditional music uh, model, I think. Mm-hmm. When did you kind of start to realize, like, oh, those crazy, like, multi-million dollar record deals are going away? and all. Oh, well, that-
5: um I don't, I don't know if I ever really... Uh, aspired to that or thought that it was in the cards for us. I was we were like um more uh I think we we emulated the business model of ind- independent rock bands touring in vans yeah. more and thought that it'd be fantastic if, you know, Touch and Go or or SST or somebody gave us a deal someday and we ended up, you know, Uncle Tupelo had an independent record deal and and when we did a deal with Warner Brothers uh, and Uncle Tupelo. It was one of the, you know, it's like a s- starter record deal. <laughs> it wasn't like a, you know, we really think you guys are going to be a sensation kind of record deal. It was more like, eh, we'll see what happens with these guys. So I never really had anything like that waved in in front of me. And uh, so I never really cared. Cared when they started going away.
4: <laughs> when, you, when, you, when you guys got signed by a big label, did you feel like this is a moment where, you know, like we've crossed, we've 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 leveled up and now we're we're going, or do you feel like you're constantly auditioning for the label to get label support? Uh,
5: well, um, I think I've always been a little bit deluded and maybe had a certain certain amount of. Uh, a uh, sense of well-being innately, you know, mm-hmm. that I don't think we really cared about that. I was, uh, we've either manufactured small goals to feel like we've achieved or really aspired to things that were within our grasp for most of our career. I really believe that. I just think, well, well last time we were in L.A., we played somewhere and it was a 100 less people came you know yeah. and I was like wow that's amazing 100 more people came and we're still doing it and it's you know 2 years later and we st- all our records are still in print and um I don't I'm not saying that just to sound humble I just honestly I'd never thought about it in any other t- way, except for like a long haul kind of thing. This is, this is what I want to do. I don't, I never really thought that it was, it was something, I never thought you picked a job that was going to have a big payoff like the lottery, and then you were done. You were like, you made it. You fit. You fi- figured it out. You win. Um, but I know people definitely think that way. You know?
1: Well, I guess even if someone just said, okay, Jeff, uh, with uh, because of your commitment to Wilco, here's a billion dollars. It's not like you're going to stop you know, playing music
5: it, and stuff right. well I think that actually happens to a lot of bands it, I mean not a billion dollars but a lot of money can really disincentivize people over time like the, the individual members of the bands can't always all be on the same uh, wavelength in terms of commitment to it or like desire to do it and when you take the, the uh, existential need to, to take care of your family yeah. Out of the equation, I think it's hard for people. I think it's. I think you. I think it's good to work. I think it's good to have a job that you feel like you need to do, and and uh, and I don't think it's counterintuitive for that to be a creative pursuit either. You do know? you think
1: comfort kind of ruins creativity in a certain sense? Because if you're not as you don't have that sort of hunger drive, like oh fuck, I have got to get out there and make
5: this work. Well, no, I mean yes and no. I think that there's. Uh, I think it's good for you to live your life and experience things that people experience, uh, like uh, financial anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's good. But as far as being comfortable, uh, I don't have any problem. I don't believe in, in, in tortured artist myths at all. You know, I, I think that people create in spite of all the suffering that everybody goes through, and. And those myths have always been really damaging more than anything. Yeah.
1: I find people who are tremendously successful, like who, I mean, I've, you know, I have friends who are comedians who I've seen them when they were not successful comedians and then tipping over and becoming about as successful as you could become. And there are some that when they had the anxiety before about money and success, Mm -hmm. then they got that and the anxiety just transferred over to something else. And you're like, Mm -hmm. oh, you just. You're just anxious. Like, yeah,
3: like, just, just inside you somewhere.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I worry about that because I'm, I, I, you know, I've I've always had like anxiety, <laughs> depression, panic oh, attack right. issues, and so you all, you kind of in your
5: mind, you go, oh, this material thing is going to fix all that, and you're like, it's not fixing that. No, yeah, it's no. worse now. <laughs> no. well, yeah, I mean, comedians are way worse than than musicians. I think for for that stuff, it's like such a solitary pursuit. That um, you don't have a lot of, uh, uh, there's not a lot of places to hide. Yeah. yeah. If you're up there by yourself with a microphone, so those anxieties probably are pretty, pretty easy to stay in touch with, regardless of your financial situation. Are you any kind of <laughs> <laughs> you can't run from yourself? Yeah. You know, I mean, but I, I think that. Uh, well, I mean, I get it all the time because of a fairly well publicized bout with addiction and anxiety disorder and all these other things. And people are you know, like, oh, you're healthy now. Um, how do you write? Yeah. You know, like, what is, well, how has it changed? And it's like the part of me that wanted to make shit was there when I was six years old. Um, yeah. And it still does and if anything I suffer more now because I don't get to take drugs yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know, like my suffering is my problem now you know? I try to explain to like
4: people who are not non-creative people mm-hmm. that it's I don't understand why we're creative it's just a thing that makes us mm-hmm. it's so the best way I can describe it is if I'm not making a thing mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like I'm just I, I may as well not be breathing mm-hmm. or, or, or you know it's like I need it the way like a normal person needs to eat I've mm-hmm. got to create a thing all all the time, yeah, and I think it's a thing that we all share
5: mm-hmm.
4: um, and uh um, like anxiety seems to be part of
2: that
5: yeah it's a it's a consolation you know it's for people that don't really have uh, spirituality or religion in their lives, which most Comedians don't. <laughs> most, most musicians. I don't know. It's it's a, it's a spiritual thing in a way because it puts you making something that wasn't there when you woke up in the morning makes you closer to the idea of God or creating yeah. or something. And
3: you when you go a day or two without really writing anything down or playing anything or going up and doing anything within the
5: the art that you like, it's yeah. like
3: they you feel like shit at the end of the day.
5: Yeah. Except yeah. I don't feel like shit anymore because I've come to figure out. I, I, at least I believe that. Um, that you're beating yourself up for something that your ego is really worried about, but it isn't part of who you are. You're working when you're when you don't think you're working. Wow. I really feel like I can't. Thanks, Jeff Tweedy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really believe that. I don't. No, think, no, I think your subconscious yeah. is obviously the part that you're trying to get to all the time. So why do you think that you can consciously, you know, steer it in any direction except? I think all you can do is get better at getting into it and getting out unscathed.
1: It almost yeah. feels like one of those weird, like, mythological stories where, where someone said, I'm going to give you unlimited creativity, but I'm going to put your ego in the way of it yeah. so it only ekes out in little spurts. That's exactly...
5: Yeah, I was like, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, why, and that's one of the reasons people think their experience with drugs has eliminated that editor or that ego, that observing ego in a way that, that, that people associate it with creativity. But yeah. it's, it's... I mean, obviously, there's ways to do that without drugs and uh, I think that you have to sacrifice a lot but
1: Yeah, no, I, I went I mean I don't I I when I gave up the booze many years ago, I did have that like, what if I never write right. anything again? And for me it was the opposite experience of like,
2: oh my God, I
1: like I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not in this weird haze all the time. Mm-hmm. I can actually think clearly. So right. I found it to be the opposite. Yeah, I found it to be like amazing.
5: I look at it like when you're um, when you're looking for your keys you're really, really, really looking hard and thinking about where your keys are and, and you have no idea and then you stop thinking and your hand just goes behind the couch and finds the keys yeah, you know? oh that's awesome you're right yeah, I know like exactly. that happens what all, mean, all the time I feel like creating is the exact same thing if you look squarely at it and you're like, I'm creating now I am making <laughs> something and, and you don't surrender to just the process of whatever it is that you're doing, the task at hand I just don't, I don't know I don't know how you stay present and actually create. I think there's something maybe to <laughs> no. be said for like if you you know if you do have a,
1: an addiction problem, or whatever it is, and then you st- and then you stop. I almost feel like there's there's a huge well of creativity right there because you're when you stop kind of stifling that stuff with chemicals, you start having to deal with emotions in a way that you never did before, and I feel like there's a lot to write about or create just just from
5: that. Well, yeah, I mean. Uh, you know, like a lot of addiction issues are obviously fear-based, so confronting those fears, I think, makes for much, uh, much more powerful. I mean, at least from your own perspective. I don't know how what the other wor- what parts of the world or what how the other you know, how people perceive it, but for yourself, I think it's much more important to, to confront those fears. Do you remember what your first show was like when you were
1: totally sober? Like, do you remember what the experience felt like? Was it different than before?
5: Um, well, I didn't like playing very much uh, high to begin with, so oh, okay. I tried to manage my meds in ways that I didn't feel particularly high ever, yeah. to be honest. I wanted to feel normal. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. You know? okay. um, and it was difficult to do that. Um, and certainly a played show is high, thinking I was normal. But my, that wasn't the goal. I was never in, in pursuit of some oblivion, you know, the debauched, kind of romanticized idea. But it. was. Right. I really thought I wanted... I just wanted to have energy to do the shit I wanted to do and not feel terrible. And and it just escalated for many, many years. <laughs> so there was, there
1: was no Jim Morrison syndrome? No. <laughs> can we just admit that Jim Morrison was a dick? When can we admit that Jim Morrison you was a dick? Not just, yet, nope, not yet. Come on, he was a drunk with a notebook. He was just like nope. a frat guy in leather pants who wrote
4: bad this.
5: poetry. You can do it Okay, in okay, all right. I'll try it on the calendar. He revolutionized wearing your girlfriend's clothes. That's <laughs> it. <as a, laughs>
1: Indie Rock for years um, Would they him for such things. I just feel like Jim Morrison would have been that guy in your, like, English or theater class, and you're like, can you believe what this fucking guy says? And all the girls are like, he's amazing. What's That's the name? guy
5: in uh, the Woody Allen movie that says, put your foot on my heart. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly yeah. it. Yeah. Did
5: you ever hear that? The, there was that uh, audio of,
3: uh, it was like Jimi Hendrix playing at the Troubadour, and uh, Jim Morrison's there, just fucking wasted, and he gets on stage. He's like, put it in her ass. Fuck that pussy, yeah! And yeah. then you hear Jimmy Hendrix going, "Oh, come on now, Jim." <laughs> <laughs> when Hendrix has to be the guy to settle someone down, and you're like, "Ah, oh, maybe he was an asshole." Was yeah.
5: I'm saying this to you, and I have acid inside my head, man. Right, come yeah. on, man. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, the voice of reason, Jimmy Hendrix. <laughs> That's when you know it's bad. Yeah, when they got just a kind of a nerd, was not he?
3: Yeah, he seemed like it. Yeah, yeah. We're yeah just seeing him play, like when he
5: was playing with. Um, Chuck Berry was that who he
3: was playing behind
5: when he started? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think I know. I know yeah, he was like backing really up pictures. someone, yeah, yeah.
3: and like they would always show footage of him, and he just this goofy guy, like just that ripping at guitars, smiling, <laughs> just like having a good time. And he, uh, my friend actually, um, he he's way into conspiracy theories about rock stars dying, and he was telling, he went on for an hour about how Jimi Hendrix was drowned by his manager with wine. What? Yeah. Grounded wine, like in that, a vat of wine. Like no, like he like shoved it down his throat. Yeah. So like uh, that's the whole thing that uh, there was no alcohol traces in his blood mm. when the cor- on the coroner's report,
5: but his lungs were full of wine. So that he just made the jump to so like well, had to be the manager. Yeah, he's yeah. actually looked at the coroner's report. Like, yeah, he he's studied he's it. Really, he's like he like went and researched it. I like. I like. Really I I like the, Everybody's
3: nerdy about something. I like
1: yeah. the yeah. idea of like Jimi Hendrix clue. The butler did it with the wine <laughs> in the in the lungs. Well, his
3: manager was a uh, was a hells angel, and uh, Jim, apparently Jimi Hendrix was getting ready to fire him, uh-huh. and then that the <laughs> he responded with. That you, but he but the manager had to understand that that
1: meant he was not going to work either way, right? Once yes. he kills <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Okay. This
5: is the law. I mean statistically it just seems like Unlikely that every rock star that has ever died was murdered in some way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't think that the actu- yeah. actuary tables.
3: Really yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I yeah, I asked him. I was like, "What do you think about Elvis?" He's all, "No, that fat fucker died on the
5: toilet. That's different. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's different." Pain, taking painkillers yeah. probably.
1: How have you managed to? Uh, have you managed to sort of just keep? It to get like people have come and go in the band and it's just you know for 18 years and you you know you're still at the center and you you've managed to keep it together. How is how how do you how do you do that?
5: (laughs) How the fuck do you do that? Well, um, I've had varying degrees of success at keeping it together and and certainly, um, I mean, a couple of things I think have really helped me. Is I I didn't have a lot of financial, as much financial anxiety as maybe I could have because I've always operated and run the band uh, within its means. I've always thought that it was really silly to like take a bunch of money for tour support and owe people a bunch of money and never wanted to do that. So I think that eliminated a lot of stress that would have otherwise done in most bands. I mean, I think. That is what does in most bands. Yeah, Yeah.
4: I feel it's like I I just out myself. I love your band. Oh, thank you. And I I will was the one who introduced me to your band in two thousand two or three, I believe. (laughs) And I first heard Yankee Hotel Foxtrot when you guys just put it online, Mm -hmm. and it was one of those wow, I've never heard anything like this in my life, and I don't want to hear anything not like this for months kind of experience for me. Uh Um, So I became, I sort of felt just as a fan, I felt invested in your success. Mm -hmm. I felt like you as a band and you as a musician had sort of like extended a hand to your audience, Mm -hmm. and... It's like it's silly to feel... I think it was as, an, as a fan of the band, it's silly to feel this way, but I just thought, like, I really wanted you to do well uh. because I felt like you had done a kindness to people <laughs> who loved your music. And I have seen that. I, I live on the internet. Mm-hmm. And I've seen this with every album since then. People mm-hmm. get so excited. When somebody links one of your albums, it's not Wilco Lawyer Incorporated that goes, Hey, man, don't be a dick. Right. It's Wilco fans who are like, Why did you do that to them? You know? And just... Right. You seem to have this relationship with your audience that just a lot of rock bands just don't have. Especially dating back to a time when people
1: were still ignoring the internet, yeah. Like when companies were still ignoring the internet, be like two thousand two, even even just back then, they were like, ah, fuck it, it's never gonna.
5: Right. Yeah, I, I mean, thank you. I mean, I, I, I I'm happy with the. Um, amount of goodwill that seems to exist between ourselves and our audience, and I, I, I mean, I can only guess as to why that exists, and I've never been in a band that it hasn't existed in. I mean, even like Uncle Tupelo in a small, smaller way, but um, we had our collaborators and our, our patrons, you know, like people coming to see us play. And I feel like we've treated them as, as as patrons of the arts and collaborators and not consumers. Yeah. Um, and I think in some ways we've, you know... We maybe could be much richer or something if we've been good at treating, treating people like consumers, <laughs> you know. But if anything, but we kind of mock can... that. We've actually, you know, I think with the things that we end up doing as merchandise and all kinds of, you know, try and be creative about just how we present our band. It's always come, you know, anything that confuses the market is really exciting to us. You know, like, flood and confuse the market has been our motto for a long time. And who's I it? Because I think, wasn't it, you didn't, when when you guys made Yankee, the the, the the label,
1: didn't the label at the time, what was it, like, None such or No, Nonesuch, no, you no.
3: picked
1: it up. No. Not such it as picked it like, Oh, okay, but didn't, didn't they listen to the album and they're like, yeah, we're not going to put this out, and you were like, uh, all right, and then yeah. you just took it and put it online.
5: Yeah. Well, there, we, there was nobody, no one to tell us we couldn't do that, or that it was a bad idea anymore once... We got the record back.
1: Um, was the idea just like, well, fuck, someone's got to hear this, so let's well, just put it on no, so they the can hear? the idea was
5: much more practical than that. The idea was that we need to get out on the road, and because that's how we make money. We don't make money off of records. Yeah. So our business model, if you want to call it that, is is really what and has ended up being everyone's business model now. <laughs> but it was then uh, as well for us that that we only were able to support ourselves on the road. And having a new record done and wanting to play those songs just meant, well, let's let people hear them because then they'll know what's up, yeah. <laughs> you know? And uh, they'll be more fun to play those songs for everybody. And, and It seems really clear, like, you guys have always... I love it when...
4: I loved when Sky Blue Sky came out and you just streamed it online mm. and, uh, the, like days before the record actually hit. So I opened that up in a browser tab and listened to it just Endlessly uh-huh. uh, for days, and when it came out, I was gonna buy the record anyway. Mm-hmm. But I felt like it just felt like um, like like you as a band saying, "Here, fans!" Right, just, and you as a is, fan, and this is what this is. You know, mm-hmm. thanks. But you yeah. as a fan
1: also want to say, "Hey, here's money now because I have mm-hmm. this experience and I want
5: to give this to you." Well, I mean, we just can't look at it like. Um, any individual thing is how we're going to be supported by anybody if they get one record free they might buy another record if they get one record free they might come see the show or they might buy a t-shirt at the show I don't know it's it's like I just figure there are definitely tons of sales that have been lost over the years Uh, just the way the music business has gone there's no doubting that but for us We've managed to keep our head above water um, by not focusing on the lost sales, but focusing on the people that are there supporting us.
3: Yeah. I remember I was working at a record store when uh, the whole Yankee Hotel Foxtrot thing happened, and I remember like a lot of people were coming in uh, because they just wanted to talk about it, because mm-hmm. they got a copy of it, mm-hmm. and when it finally came out, mm-hmm. uh, all those same people came in to buy it. And I remember we always thought that was really cool that like it's like all those people that were just so into it yeah. came in and when they and when they asked about it in the beginning we are like we got this band called Wilco and they were like yeah well here's some other albums you want if you want to get those for now right. and then when it finally came out all of them came back into the store
5: well, it was a big it was a watershed moment for us and it wasn't like designed as some big publicity stunt obviously yeah. but it, it did work out that way I mean yeah. certainly it was the story the story I believe has made that record uh, as much as, of what it is as yeah. the music. Well, then there was and also the point. movie. The movie, you know, movie. yeah. In yeah, yeah, the yeah. movie, you know, I'm I'm proud of the record. I personally feel like we've made better records and gotten better as a band, <laughs> but I, that's not for me to say, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. That's an
1: interesting thing to admit, though, is that, you know, like, people are gonna attach meaning that maybe you didn't intend, mm-hmm.
5: or... And so are you pretty... Well, once you surrender it, you know, your record or, you know, abandon it, you know, it's... I think that's one of the things that hurts people over, over in the long run too is is maintaining the illusion that you have any control over it anymore you know like you don't um the world is going to make whatever it wants to make of this stuff that you put out there and I mean that's why we're probably more in tune with playing live shows still because you know that's on a night to night basis we have a certain amount of input (laughs) you know like we get to maintain that input how the records are 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 going over out in the world is first of all people look at it like it's going to happen in a week and everybody's going to assume that this record is what it is and all it will ever be is what happened in the first week that the record came out no records that mean anything to me hardly were records that i got the first week that they were out I got them 30 years later or, yeah. or 50 years later. Or, or even
3: just listening to a record. Like It's like the records I still listen to and go back to constantly are records when I first heard them. I was like, okay. It's the yeah, ones that like, you too. keep listening mm-hmm. to and you start to find out more and learn more about it as you listen to but it. But there's also
1: sort of this weird, astro- like, I don't know what other term to use, but just sort of weird chemistry or astrology thing that happens with an album where you just have to be ready for it in your life mm-hmm. at that time to be to have it sink oh, yeah.
5: in. Yeah, I mean, oh some. yeah, I think. Well, yeah, it's like um, it's like philosophy or, or poetry or something. At some point, it's built upon lots of things, and unfortunately, it's when it gets a little academic sometimes. Some yeah, records yeah. you actually have to have a listening background to kind of get to. You know, some things are more immediate, and pop music is certainly more immediate, but like. Other stuff, lots of art requires you to have an investment in not just that artist, but in trying to understand art. Period.
1: You know. How do you sort of refill the thing? I mean, are you constantly writing throughout the year, or do you need to take a break to write? Or are you ever worry? Like, how, how do you keep finding stuff to say? Where do you go?
5: Um. I don't. Uh, I don't worry about having stuff to say. I've never had anything to say. <laughs> you don't think so? Uh, uh, no, I'm not saying I haven't said stuff, but I've never really felt like I had anything to say. But I've uh, I've very much trusted the idea that if I put something together lyrically with some music that makes me feel something when I sing it and makes me see something, um, Im- you know the, an image happens or uh, I I can't. I can't keep it from having meaning. Then I'm on the right path. If I'm sitting there struggling to put meaning into it and trying to make all the dots connect so it tells a you know story, I just I've done it a few times and I'm really happy when I pull it off. It's a lot harder, uh, but it's not necessarily my my forte. You know, I think it's much more intuitive than that. Just the way that you kind of the, the the band. I
1: mean, I always feel like, oh yeah, of course that's a Wilco song, but stylistically, you know, the albums kind of weave around. I mean, it's, I don't even know, I mean, it's probably pointless to try to categorize you guys as anything, but do you just sort of see this as like, I'm just sort of exploring all these things that I'm like playing around in at the time.
5: Well, the thing I always tell people, and, and uh, I, I mean it sincerely, and even if it sounds sort of pretentious or something, I know, it's like, don't get the goal. Of having things narrowed down like I don't really want to come up with a, a coherent philosophy of the world or music I want to learn how to like more mm-hmm. I want to learn how to understand more and that's I think how Wilco has developed over, over time, what, what else can we put in here that makes sense or how can um, you know do we feel this enough to, to own it you know yeah. this type, this genre, or this 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 style, um, but in general, I listen to anything. I I don't have any kind of set listening patterns at all. I I really just always like to be listening to something. What do you like? What are you liking right now? Um. The. <laughs> I was in the studio a little bit before we left, Yeah. so I was, being in the studio is a time period where you listen to music like 10 hours a day, and you don't listen to a whole lot of music outside of the yeah. studio, because you don't want to, I mean, you just can't. You just, you're, your ears get tired, you need to rest. Yeah. So I was listening to some, like, kids, there's friends of my sons that are kind of getting a lot of really big offers these days to put together a record and i was helping them make a record oh, that's cool yeah oh, that's that's great <laughs> yeah. it sounded like <laughs> the, like it's a seven-piece band with a rapper and like stuff that uh, i mean it's definitely going to have the highest concentration of N-words on it, uh, <laughs> any record I've ever been a part of. <laughs> and it's not me. <laughs> no, just, I hope it's not your son either. You know, and, and I don't, yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> he's, not the, he's not in the band. They're, yeah. they're friends. Is. How old's your son? He's 16.
4: So he's at an age where his friends are aware that his dad is in Wilco, right?
5: Yeah. Yeah, so is my other son. He's 12. You know, they both are. What's that like? Well, I think my kids seem to be pretty together with it. You know, I think that... um, uh, I don't really know. It's their experience. But for the most part, they seem fairly undaunted by it. They they both seem to have their own personalities. They feel pretty self-possessed. Uh, um, <laughs> Spencer can shrug off maybe he gets it more than my younger son because mm-hmm. he's in high school and he, he'll you know people think if your dad's in a rock band he's a rock star and that you're rich and you ride to school in a limousine and stuff like that and and he can shrug that stuff off pretty easy because it's just idiotic you know. <laughs> And so ill-informed,
4: you know. There's, this, there's an age where, um, for me as an actor, I was working in things that my, my, my son's peers didn't care about at all, and then I did a Disney movie when they were in elementary school. Mm-hmm. And suddenly walking onto their school to pick them up, I they the kids treated me like I was a rock star, uh-huh. and then I went back to doing things that they didn't care about. And now mm-hmm. that they're adults, and I've worked on some TV shows where they're where my kids, they don't care. They're my kids. Right. And it's like it, it does not matter. Right. But sometimes their friends, their friends embarrass them the way that I always try to embarrass them as their father. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, and I just right. can't can't do. Right. So um, just like speaking as, I'm really interested to notice, like as a father. Mm-hmm. is there a thing where where your kids have a friend because now you know being mm-hmm. 12 like I just don't see Wilco as a band that like 9 year olds listen to but it really I mean like mm-hmm. for teenagers mm-hmm. God if I'd had Wilco when I was a teenager you would have been my The Smiths uh huh yeah well I mean
5: um there have been a few people that have come over with my sons that act a little weird yeah <laughs> they get over it pretty quickly cuz the you know realize I'm a just a huge dork and, and <laughs> an embarrassing dad I think you need to take him to school one day
1: in a white stretch limo <laughs> with Wilco and sequins on the side <laughs> with a hot tub in the back mm-hmm. and two bleach blonde playmates in, in the hot tub uh-huh. and then they, and then and Spencer gets out of the hot tub and you're like alright
5: I'll see you later on the private yeah, jet with a, with a mink coat yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> one time Spencer I took him to school and he had a really bad cold And so his eyes were watering, and his eyes were really red, and he was a little bit late, so he had to go to the office. (laughs) And he asked, he said, he got really upset. He's like, I'm going to go to the office, and they're going to think I was out smoking pot. And I said, do you want me to walk in with you and tell them? And he said, no, because then they'll really think I was smoking pot.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
4: that's, oh, that's not
3: sweet. <laughs> okay yeah.
4: Yeah. way to perpetuate
1: stereotype school system <laughs> in chicago yeah. my dad's in a rock band, but i'm not like that i'm not like that uh, exactly uh i wanted to just also just quickly talk before we let you go um uh the whole love is great oh, and I, I i did not it was only just today that i realized that you guys did you see the popeye video yet Mm-mm. they made a video with king features uh, they made a Wilco Popeye video
4: Oh I've heard of this And
1: it's mm. fucking awesome
5: Oh cool glad you like it Oh my
1: god yeah so it's the 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 URL is wilcospinach.com <laughs> and it just it just pops up and uh, and uh, and Jeff Tweedy totally cockwalks Popeye with olive oil. It's funny. My wife do. hates it because of
5: that. <laughs> really? She's like, why do you get olive oil?
2: <laughs>
5: Spoiler alert, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, she thinks that that's ridiculous. Popeye deserves olive oil.
1: Well, th- but then later, you know, you're a rock band. You can break her heart. She'll run back to Popeye. He's always right. going to take her. He's a fucking doormat. Like, yeah,
5: just assuming that there's some sort of long-term relationship developing. I don't think <laughs> Popeye.
4: That. I think, I Popeye think you actually a- did Popeye a favor because olive oil, like, really is just has been toying with him forever. Popeye all, is a doormat with an addiction problem. I, can He's I just tell you to spinach.
5: something? I don't never understood what people see in olive oil. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's why she loves yeah. you. Yeah. 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 That's why she likes you so much.
5: She's not that attractive. No. Uh, maybe in the marmy. maybe in the '30s. That's interesting. In the '30s, it's interesting. You could choose between like, even pie. in the '30s, I think she would have been just you know homely. Well, yeah, especially because her main competition is Betty Boop. Come on. Yep. Yeah. Betty is Boop is like foxy. Yeah. Yeah.
4: I don't know. I always like I, I like the skinny
1: nerdy girls. I don't know what it is. Like I always had. I had You're a pandering thing. to your audience. I'm so not much at right. all. I, I oh always my had God, a thing we're for you pandering oil. so <laughs> much.
5: I like <laughs> skinny ner- nerdy girls. Olive oil is something beyond.
3: <laughs> <laughs> She's not lanky. human. Lanky. Really.
5: She's lanky. Yeah. Yeah. She yeah. is but lanky. In, but yeah, it's the first. It's the first uh, Popeye hand drawn Popeye comic strip in a long, long time. Uh,
1: it's really great it's that It's I'm exactly how it's that classic like um, King Feature like that classic animation that stuff, style yeah. black and white yeah. where all the characters are a little Constantly bouncy shifting yeah they're a little uh, bouncy it makes because, them yeah. comfortable because they drew yeah. they, had to, they did so <laughs> many drawings to make the characters move so yeah. they're always a little they're always a little jumpy
3: yeah
1: um uh, but "Don't Me" is a really is a really great song. Oh, thanks! And uh, so what? So what's what's next? Are you are you are you already working on another thing, or are you just kind of riding it? Because that album just came out in September, so. All
5: right, we're we're just busy touring and and playing as many shows as we can get in uh, before we drop, you know. <laughs>
1: Do you mind if I ask you a couple questions that people submitted? No, not at all. Okay, cool. And then—is this going out
5: live? No, going no, 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 no. I didn't no. think so. I was like, these are
1: just reporters. No, no, no. Yeah, these are. So these you, you get it gonna out. edit them? You, it, you don't really edit much on the show because mm. it's—it it's, just kind of goes. Uh, what it is. <laughs> this is a. Uh, Cuánto faltará para que Wilco se de una vuelta de Argentina? I think he's asking, "When are you, me when are you going?"
5: That's an incredible accent. Your Portuguese is so I just want to say muchas gracias.
1: <laughs> um, w- uh, I guess that means, uh, "When are you coming to Argentina?"
5: Um, I have no idea. I would, we would love to tour South America more. We've only been to Brazil, but uh, sure. but that would, you know. We were we were booked to go there one time, and then uh, there were like eight different presidents in the period of like three months between when it was booked. <laughs> like, you know, I, I mean, so it was a little yeah. scary. Are you voting
1: in the June election? Oh, <laughs> yeah. wait ready? July. Wait till July. <laughs> Uh, and Argentina is fucking far, by the way. Like you, I think you take for granted. You're like, oh, it's just a little bit farther than Texas. Like, no, 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 no. It's like twenty hours. It's, it's the same other time, time zone, but it's like uh, <laughs> yeah, that's it's only 20 time. hours away. You right? lose a chunk of your life. Um, this is from uh, at Jason Spitz. My question uh, is, where did Jeff's attraction to like like noise, sound effects, static, squeals, drones as a sonic element originate from?
5: Um. Well, I really, I really liked records when I was a little kid, I think as, from uh, as early as I can remember and according to my mother I would just stand and point at the record player until she put a record on and we actually, my father worked on the railroad for 46 years and wow. so oddly enough one of the records he owned was a, a sound effects record of trains, steam engines, because he really liked steam engines and I liked that record a lot. And then when I went to uh, college, I never really went to class. I would go to the library and uh, listen to records because they had all kinds of records Mm -hmm. that I couldn't find anywhere else. And some of them were like that. And there were John Cage records um, with, uh, you know, just cartridge music, just like records where they're just manipulating the the cartridge on a phonograph and and radio, things like that. And uh, it was really... uh, Liberating to think of a record as being anything, um, as opposed to just pop records and records I heard on the radio or my brothers and sisters' '60s records. Right. So I think it's just from that. I think that was just a uh, an innate, <coughs> I, th- I think, desire to just listen to stuff, and I, also just discovering that there were things like that to listen to. Yeah. I used to know the answer to this, but I can't remember. Did you come to
4: the phenomenon of number stations through the CoNet project or through shortwave? <coughs>
5: Through the Conant project.
4: So, yeah. did you ever listen to shortwave when you were growing up? Or My really father was, just... was a ham radio operator. Oh, that's so cool. A,
5: oh, a, so
1: that okay, okay, yeah, AM right. Wilco, like yeah, all right. of the. Yeah.
5: Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I mean, he had you know, uh, he was an electronics, self-taught electronics expert. That he'd, oh, that's uh, super cool. So that's about the high school. That's where the names
1: and, maybe come from.
5: Yeah, okay. well, I think so. Yeah, he had a radios, a radio uh, mm-hmm. workshop in the basement and. He, uh, <clears throat> one time our neighbors, who we really didn't like, got some walkie-talkies for their birthday or something. They, they were really bullies, you know. And my dad hacked into their frequency <laughs> and told them that he was in an airplane <laughs> and he could see them and that he, they should come back out at midnight because he was going to be flying back over. And he, if they... Uh, um, If they stand out in their backyard with with the flashlights, they'll swoop down and... And they can see anything. And <laughs> that's and, amazing. And so we just sat out in the backyard and watched them in their back in their backyard with flashlights. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's
1: like the, that's that's the,
4: the best family. troll yeah. dad story yeah. ever. Fucking
1: yeah. like an analog hacking. Yeah, that's uh, genius. That's yeah. Um, all right, this is from at Don Mills. Any chance of a third Mermaid Avenue album or another album with Billy Bragg? I don't I mean, I don't want to talk anything too controversial, but I read but the sense that I got from that experience with you guys online was like oh my god, we're huge Billy Bragg fans, and then after the end of the album was like, Billy Bragg was not the easiest person to work with in the world. And um, you don't have to say anything against him. I just, there,
5: there is a, a box set of the first two records with a third volume coming out this year because it's Woody's Centennial. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I don't think our involvement is going to be very extensive, uh, but, it's, but it's coming out and it's cool, and there are some things that... I guess were left over from the original record. Yeah. And um, some things I'd forgotten about and then a lot of things that Billy had laying around that I don't know if I ever heard, you know, so. They're two of my favorite (coughs)
4: albums ever. Oh, that's nice. I'm so sad for you that it wasn't a better experience. That's
5: uh, It really should have been. It really really (laughs) should have been. And I don't think it's all, um, I mean, I personally wasn't at a particularly great point in my life, so I, I... I can accept a lot of blame for not being a, a great communicator at that time, so I don't think that that helped anything. But there were some really sort of questionable business practices and things going on that I, I still don't quite understand, and and it's made things difficult over the years to to, to feel a hundred percent on board with that project, even though I'm a hundred percent on board with Woody and that I'm on the sucks board. And all and that
1: shit gets in the way, or especially like when you have someone that
4: you really respect, and then. You're like, oh my god, this is gonna be so much fun, and then yeah. what the fuck? Yeah. When I was playing, I worked with an actor who I, I loved and I just loved him in everything, mm. and he was the worst person in the world. Really? Yeah, he was just he was a nightmare and, who and horrible. Rucker Howard. Oh he yeah, was <laughs> he, he was terrible, and and he was so bad that he actually ruined movies that he was already in for me. And Blade Runner is one of my favorite movies uh-huh. of all time, and I have a very hard time watching Blade Runner uh, because geez. he was such a son of a bitch
5: on the set. Yeah. Um, Did you call him a cheap dime store (laughs) (laughs) Klauskins?
1: There was a
4: day on the set. There was a day on the set where he wanted to have like. A raven on one arm and a cane with a sword in it, and we were like, "You're just taking stuff from Lady Hawk." Yeah, what's <laughs> what a... wrong with uh, you? Lady Hawk. All right, all right, all right. I'm gonna give you a plate of fries, and there's gonna be a finger in it. <laughs> yeah,
5: that's the hitcher.
1: <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck, Rucker Hauer <laughs> But it was the same kind of. It was right. the same. Like you're such a jerk. So if you're ever considering collaborating with Rucker Howard, you know, probably not. Gonna don't, gonna no,
5: it. he would have been <laughs> actually one of the people in the top ten of people I would think. No, I think this sounds right. Yeah, I was
4: 20. I was naive. Yeah. I liked to believe that like, but, the art mattered and the performance mattered and making a great thing mattered and that just... So oh, I, how the scales did fall from my eyes that yeah. day.
1: I think we have one last question for you. Um, uh, Jason Forrest on Google Plus wanted to know, why did Jeff Tweedy do the weather forecast for WGN? We guys are from Chicago. Like That would be amazing to do the weather forecast for WGN.
5: Uh. They asked me to. Right? <laughs> um, we were performing on WGN at an ungodly hour for a rock band to be anywhere performing. <laughs> yeah. And then they asked if any of, any of us wanted to do the weather. And uh, I said, sure. And I, had, I thought they were just going to go to me and doing the weather and I had a whole spiel worked out I thought it would be really funny to pretend that a virus had swept through the studio <laughs> 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 and that, like so people just tuning in would be like kind of freaked out I, it's okay I was Jeff the tweeting? only guy that lived in the neighborhood yeah. <laughs> everything's okay stay calm people avoid the WGN area um, but, um, but then they they got kind of I told them that and they got a little... They got cold feet. And so then they had him introduce me. And so they totally fucked up my bid. Yeah. And then I came out and I, I I didn't... I don't really... I think it went okay. That I, is a high-pressure system. Wind. Thanks. <laughs> I do remember saying... I thought it was... Um, I thought it was funny to say that a five-day por- forecast sounded kind of optimistic. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah,
2: yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Were you? A com- I mean, it's because Chicago is like such a, a huge comedy hub. Were you? Are you a comedy, big comedy fan? Oh, you know?
5: uh, I, I definitely like comedians and comedy. And I do a benefit at Second City every year, yeah. and I know a fair amount of comedians somehow over the years. But um, uh, I like. Uh, I like making people laugh when I have a chance to, because it seems, I, I think it's kind of like shooting fish in the barrel, or fish in the barrel, though, from, for a rock guy, and especially a rock guy that has some sort of, uh, I, I think people have a perception as being sort of serious. Yeah. You know, it's much more of a surprise. I would never want to get up and try my hand at real comedy <laughs> in front of an audience that, you know, but but uh, but rock audiences are pretty easy to blindside with something unexpected. Usually.
3: Yeah, I think one of the best uh, stand-up sets I ever saw was from Ted Leo during a Ted Leo and the Pharmacist show where he was just, like, doing bits in between mm-hmm. every song and just murdering, just killing the crowd. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, he's so funny. Well,
1: that's just a nice extra thing, like, as a fan where you go, oh, my God, not only is this music great, this guy actually has a personality and he's yeah, it's funny. It's like he humanizes he, you.
5: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then the nights where I just can't muster any kind of I can't channel my inner David Lee Roth at all. <laughs> no high kicks? No. 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 We did the show last night? No, I want no. no we're tra- we I was ruined because on the way from San Diego to LA we watched a Sammy Hagar concert live on on <laughs> Shark TV. And it was like made me so feel so bad about myself <laughs> <laughs> like the amount of energy I was putting out on stage yeah. and like my ability to just like give an audience what they needed well just Sam like can't to, drive 55 I mean you gotta know that from the that's get that's one go. thing you know looking at the dude he's <laughs> <You cannot laughs> like he's <clears> like <throat> No, I, he looked like a jet ski salesman. <laughs> <laughs> my yeah. wife took our son
4: <laughs> My wife took our son to see Van Halen when he was still in high school. So like that was five or six years ago and uh, uh she came home and I said, "So, how was it?" And she said, "I I can't believe what those guys can do and they're like they're 50." Right, right. And and she said like
5: you would you never have good shape. Never know. No, he's no. like a little portly, mm. and yeah. like you know, trying <laughs> <clapping. laughs> yeah, to clap under, under those pork legs. Yeah. yeah, it was really crazy. One one
1: show, I just think one show without saying anything, you should come out in like neon tights with a fucking crazy. <laughs> Diamond Dave wig give it, a, give, give it a go just give it a go uh, just, see, me, just, just give it on. a high kick yeah. and don't ever reference it and then just see if you're like does he
5: know I, but yeah. see that's just the problem I would do that <laughs> if I could and there's no way in hell I could I do not have that skill set <laughs> just wheel out a big margarita machine <laughs> oh that's it the video the, the, the concert we saw there was a bar with girls in bikinis dancing on stage with cowboy hats and they would d- deliver shots of tequila to him during his uh, just, seeing you, his on, just seeing you on just
1: seeing you on stage going and don't forget to get your Wilco Ritas at the back of the bar <laughs> yeah cabo Babo. yeah, yeah. <laughs>
5: yeah. <Cabo-bobo. laughs> he has, tequila. He has a tequila that, right yeah they have a tequila yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. well and they were like attractive girls I hated myself even for that that I thought like <laughs> those girls. They're stupid, <laughs> but they're kind of cute. <laughs> it's just you're being charmed
1: by
3: their occupation.
5: Yeah, That's why yeah, I, yeah.
1: Well, uh, this is uh, this has been amazing. I mean, thank you so much for, oh, for letting us crash your dressing room and I think we're going to we're going to get some stuff
5: from Soundcheck. Um, but uh, Yeah, I but think they're they're, they're they're I can hear them. They're probably waiting for me. Well, thank you so All much, right, yeah, no Jeff. I mean You've a been lot. super super awesome and we really appreciate My it. My pleasure. pleasure. Thank yeah, you so nice much. Yeah, nice talking to you guys. Thank you. Thanks. Yes, thanks very nice.
0: Glenn Keechee, you are my idol. <laughs>
2: Be our
5: his shadow on this world
2: long listen on to the song wonder when it will pop in the snow the melody is a mistake embrace at the wake Been blown, something unknown, buried under a mile of snow. Found a fix for the fits. Come listen to this, it's intimate as a kiss Nerdist.com. Enjoy your
1: burrito. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast was brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 15% off your new account for six months, go to Squarespace.com and use the offer code NERDIST.
0: I feel like I was blindsided. Because it's a competition show.
1: They will test their strength and lack of life skills for a chance to win $200 million.
0: Thousand,
2: not
0: million. $200,000. Prepare, cause it's about to be ugly crying. Lots of fighting.
4: Taisha I have to defend myself. Celebrating 25 years of reality TV with your favorites.
0: I have
2: yeah. diarrhea, you cannot do this to me. What in gay hell have I got myself into?
4: The GOAT, stream free on Amazon Freeview or Prime Video.